It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a very mild morning in early February and I'm out in a small woodland not far from my home in Abergavenny and you can hear from all the bird life around me that the world is waking up and there's a little rattle of a woodpecker. We're still in the depths of winter but I love these days that seem to hint that longer, warmer, brighter things lie ahead. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. Join me and the team for adventures in the British countryside with noisy wildlife, delightful human characters and quests to explore curious places. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast and I'd like to say a huge welcome to all our thousands of listeners in the UK and the wide world beyond. Please do get in touch, we love to hear from you. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. So we've reached season 11 where, in the depths of the UK winter, we're listening out for the voices of the countryside, whether wild or human. And this episode is a rather curious one. I set out initially to give voice to the ordinary farmed countryside of my homeland of Monmouthshire, places not in the guidebook or on walkers' must-do lists. Well, that was my intention, but as I explored the footpaths through little-known woods, valleys and fields, I found my way was constantly blocked well, the footpath simply vanished. And so a new story began to emerge, that of the overlooked and forgotten corners, where access is fading away. Fortunately, I found some great wild voices of ravens and other wildlife to accompany me. But later, the podcast team and I will be chatting with Jack Cornish of The Ramblers, a charity that seeks to promote walking and protect our rights of way. I'm hoping he can throw some light on how we protect footpaths, such as the ones I struggle to find. Here's how I got on. The sound of gate echoing through a still woodland. I've come out on the most glorious of January mornings. Deep in the heart of Monmouthshire. The forgotten heart of Monmouthshire, somewhere I don't come very often. 
I'm always tempted to go into the hills and valleys of the Brecon Beacons. But I want to give voice to the forgotten corners of the countryside in this podcast. So I had a look near me, places that I don't go, just to go away from the obvious and see what else there is. Walk footpaths that, on a map, don't look particularly dramatic. And as I was drawing my finger across the sort of unknown lands of east of the Brecon Beacons and west of the Wye Valley, I stopped on this little hill because there was the there's some Gothic writing which always attracts me on OS maps, and it pointed out a hill fort. So I thought. I've not been there, let's go and have a look. Having driven through some frosts, mists and icy roads, lanes with high hedges and seldom used tracks with grass growing down the, down the middle of the tarmac, which is a sure sign that not many people come this way. Anyway, I'm at Coid Abonith Hillfort, an Iron Age Hillfort, and this is possibly the best preserved in Monmouthshire. I'm just sort of striding up a broad, grassy path, and there's mounds of possibly the outer wall, the outer uh, raised mound of the hillfort. It's covered in brambles, all looking rather sad and bedraggled and then through a field of brassicas to my right looking north there's a barn clad in corrugated iron rather fetching look a sort of rusty iron and stone barn those rather ugly uh, plastic wrapped great cylinders of silage so my plan today is just to well it's to start in somewhere dramatic like this and to walk across country to another another hill fort actually, <laughs> two places I've never been to. This is really dramatic so I'm passing through, I guess this would have been the gateway and then there's this huge ditch and so it rises up, drops down into a ditch and then rises up again and it looks like there's another ditch further on so obviously there's a, sort of a series of circular ramparts and this sort of frosty misty morning, I mean really cold, probably no more than one or two degrees at the moment. Although the sun is deliciously warm. On one side, you can see why they built the hill fort here. We're actually really high above the land below. It's quite dramatic looking back now across the Usk Valley to the Blorange Mountain. And these are walking on the beech leaves. Quite a few stately, huge stately beaches. But uh, these wouldn't have been here. This is basically a forested hill. It's quite a steep drop now down into the valley from this particular side, the western side of the hill fort. These trees wouldn't have been here in the past when this was occupied in the Iron Age. So we're looking at sort of, I don't know, 500 BC to 100 AD, something that sort of that sort of period is, is regarded as the Iron Age. Robin up ahead, just doing sort of alarm call type 
not much bird life here. I expect to find a bit more. I expect to. There's a raven. quite high or she but you might have been able to catch I could hear and I hope it's caught the sowing the, the, the noise of its wings it's got an amazing voice I love that sort of rock breaking granity voice but uh, this, the noise of its wings does these sort of quite shallow shallow wing beats obviously on a mission flying very directly not looking about that raven I know in the podcast we've talked about ravens playing with each other and having these amazing playful courtship displays, but that one was on a mission heading heading west. And I'm sure ravens would have been quite familiar to the people who lived here all those time a long time ago. There are slots of animal tracks through the bracken. There's a little wren up here. Fast-paced staccato. Not doing his call. There he is, just flitting along the bracken. Went boggy up here. So it's called Coid uh, Bournemouth, and Coid C O E D is woodland, which is very obvious to see here. Uh means sort of off. Why is why on its own? Coid er. Uh, and then bonus B W N Y double D bonus. I think that's how you say it. it. Might be bonus. I wonder whether that's something from Hill Mountain Munith bonus. It might be a mutation. I think there's a bullfinch ahead. Yes, bullfinch. Boom boom. Springy, silvery. So we get a bit closer. I'd love to hear a bullfinch. Very much walking on the outer rampart of the hill fort. I'm getting closer to the song thrush. That's not a song thrush. That's a that's a blue tit. When I stop and just look, relax my eyes, look into the trees, alive with small birds foraging cold time of year but the warmth might just stir up a bit of a bit of life for them to find insects or seeds or whatever it is just a song thrush there beginning its beginning its soundtrack it's time for me to scooch on I think from here see what else we can across who knows but I've got a few miles to traverse across the countryside across what looks on paper very ordinary farmland undulating this part of the is just gently undulating this hill has a feel of being quite precipitous because it's taller than anything else around it there's a robin there I see him 
just gave a little wistful tune. I left the hill fort and um, I'm just going up a lane a little bit to try and hit a footpath. And some goldfinches tinkling in a tree, catching the light up here. Just as I pause to look over beautiful surroundings, I can see north to sort of Herefordshire and a hill called Edward's Tump. There's a bit of skylark song. Zip, zip, zilch, zilch. There's lovely mist in the valleys between here and uh, the hills just before the Wye, the River Wye. And I'm looking ahead to a kind of broad hill with a deep valley between it, so I'm heading into the deep valley. Currently I'm walking in the direction I want to go, but I don't think the footpath system around here will allow me to follow that for much further. And then suddenly when they're going to the shade of trees, these overgrown hedgerow trees, I'm following a hedge on my left, but on the right, it just drops down into the valley. And big green fields, really sort of, what they call improved pasture. So these aren't wildflower meadows, these are grazing fields or silage fields or whatever. It's can't see any sheep around here. Where I live, in the Brecon Beacons, the sheep dominate, but here maybe they're growing for, for silage. But there's some beautiful little hills and hidden valleys here. The great thing about skylarks is they can, despite their decline, they can make a home pretty much anywhere. Here they come. Not doing their song, these are just contact calls. I climbed over a gate and then I found a stile hidden in the brambles. So, oh, I had a steep climb. This is a really interesting little valley up ahead. I'm heading north, basically. I think we might meet some buzzards soon. There's a beautiful hawthorn here with uh, mistletoe. Ripping with this mistletoe. There's a little flock of meadow pivots. Ten, fifteen of them. Yeah, mistletoe, so much of it, covered in berries. So I'm going to wander down this head of this valley. And this is parts of the world where people don't really come very often. Birders don't come, so you don't much idea of what actually lives here. I'm hoping more bullfinches will be out. All the trees along here are covered in mistletoe and the sun is on this broad sloping pasture but below me the valley is wooded. So why come out on a January, mid early January day to see nature? A lot of people don't come out at this time of year well, today is a remarkably beautiful day here in Monmouthshire. Crystal clear, barely a cloud in the sky. And uh, the, the combination of mists and frost is really, really intense, just for the pure beauty of it. 
it's one day to, it's a day to come out and explore now it's a work day for me so normally I'd be stuck at my little desk ferreting away working to produce the magazine and edit podcasts there goes the skylark overhead Some stubbly fields here, the buzzard. Might hear a bit more of him in a minute or her in it. Um, but after the Christmas and New Year in Britain, I seem to recall it raining pretty much every day. And it was sort of dark and leaden, and there's a few little rabbit scrapes along the, the hedge bank to my left now. Grabbing these opportunities to have hear the voices of the countryside and let your own inner voice calm all the stresses of daily life melt away a bit once you're out walking hearing the chatter of these birds some just beginning their lovely buzzard mournful mewing as a jay just shuttles down the hedge line back into its woodlock and a rabbit which is really good to see scampered across the field absolute rate of knots really good to see a rabbit they've not been doing that well a very broken looking style just shows this isn't used very much there's no, there's no footpath signs here the parts of the countryside where yeah, it's actually really dodgy to climb over best. As I climb the style I get a lovely buzzard. It's not clear where to go, you sort of arrive in a field, huge irregularly shaped field and there's no notion of where the next style is but I just have, now I'm sort of descending a very big broad field with ahead of me I can see really lovely actually it's a castle sitting just on a slight rise with a little town off to the south of it and the views are so good this is Raglan Castle big handsome uh, fortification that anyone coming down the A40 towards Abergavenny you see you definitely see that castle it's, it's magnificent and beyond it, a sort of valley filled with smoky mist. There's those ravens again. raven calling there which was really really lovely to hear that was me not negotiating a fence successfully but I did scare some rabbits so I'm now on a proper little track 
and down into the woodland. Accompanied by Robinson. Right, so I've just clambered down a steep bank. The footpath on the map bears no resemblance to the landscape on the ground. I'm back on a sort of public right-of-way, which is also a farm track. But there was no... Hello, Crow. There was no possible way of working out finding the footpath from up on the hill down through this woodland. And uh, I'm sort of squelching and sliding my way along this, this pretty muddy track and pretty much up ahead I'm going to get totally... My boots going to be totally overwhelmed. Still, part of the adventure is finding yourself in these tricky places. But, yeah, no thought, obviously, here for walkers, probably because not many people come here. It's a real puzzle trying to find my way around this landscape. Oh, I'm unable to follow this track today. Have I missed my turning? Oh, I didn't say I've got to go back through the mud. Ah, unbelievable, yes. That's deep. This is really deep. Oh, this is the footpath down into the field here. It isn't. This is unfathomable. Okay. Oh dear. The squelchiest, boggiest jackal like this. Squelchiest, boggiest walk ever. Right. Oh, I think I found it. I think I found the footpath. But it's a, a cleft that goes down to a boggy looking stream. Oh man. Well, I'll try this. If not, we're doomed. No hope of. Oh my goodness, this deep, deep mud. That's water in shoe time. Okay, I see the way. I see the way. I see the light. Arduous if you're walking in winter. Now that's a reason for not coming out in winter. Just gonna cross a little stream now. And then I think I'm on the footpath I need. Just going straight across several fields now. Uh, I've got a long way to go. Buzzard just came out ahead of me, two of them, warming themselves up in the sun. So I have found what looks more official, but a very unused looking footbridge, completely overgrown with brambles. Now this is, it's up, I'm getting in my eyes. And there's a stile, it's almost been blocked. It's really, not been used. This is a problem. So why would anyone come here? It's beautiful. Yeah, really badly blocked footpath over a stream there. And I think a lot of that goes on where people don't walk very much. So yeah, people aren't necessarily going to come here for a walk. They are more likely to, you know, go to the exciting places. You've got limited time. So these footpaths are probably ancient connections between settlements. But perhaps the local people don't use that very often. Maybe the old dog walker, I've seen the old footprint. But 
Yeah, slowly, the footpath signs aren't replaced, the styles aren't repaired and mended and maintained. Oh my goodness, let's come across a, a small pond, well, large pond, huge flock of 50 mallard. what that bird singing is. It's always intriguing to hear something a bit new. It's a sort of wooded pond in the middle of a field. Not on the map. The sun is so bright as well it makes it very difficult to see. I'm staring right into it. Very difficult to see if there's an easy way out. Uh, yes, there is a style. So there is still some infrastructure for walking here. But it's massively overgrown with brambles. So I can't think that many people have come through here. It's going to actually be quite, I wish I brought some secateurs or something. Oh, it's totally overgrown. Real. Is this it even? I don't know if I can even force my way through there. There must be another way. I mean, where do you, where the hell do you get through here? This footpath is gone. Yeah, okay, it is just up here. It is that brambled gap in the hedge. Oh, forgive me, I'm going to have to turn off because there's no way I'm getting through there. There's a flock of those ducks coming back over. No, those are. There's a golden plover. Lovely golden plovers. There's no other way through. That was comprehensively one of the most unpleasant experiences. I had to wade and drag myself through a stile. The stile was there, very well hidden. I guess perhaps not the landowner's fault, although they clearly hadn't done much to maintain. There's a little footbridge up here and a stile, which is a lot more visible. But my goodness, oh my goodness, it's rotted away, so I've got to leap a bit of stream. Um, yeah, that was, I'm going to be covered in scratches. That I've got thorns in my hand. So that, this is so rickety, this bridge. It's like it disintegrated under my feet. So just really badly maintained and not a glamorous part of the world. So no one here to make a fuss about it. There's just brambles everywhere. Uh, possibly along here. I'm in a little thicket now. I have no idea where I am and I'm really running out of time. But there is a path through. Let's get through here. I can squeeze through these trees. It's been planted so narrowly, these trees. I've got to force myself through. And I'm hoping i just get some thorns out of my socks. That's the danger is that, you know, as these paths become more and more difficult to use, people just get herded into smaller and smaller areas. Oh, I need to go down the valley. There is a footpath down this valley. Let's hope, hope against hope, that it is more open. This has turned into much more adventure than I expected. Well, after all that struggle, I've had to abandon. Let's walk down the valley and have to find another way out and go on lanes because there's just no footpaths. And it just ended in a sort of private garden, but the footpath showed that it goes, went on through that. 
But I've sort of run out of energy for battling today. I think it might be better to come at it from the other angle and see how this footpath actually works from the other way around. But there's lots of countryside here, totally empty farmland. And uh, you know, very few people get the enjoyment of it. Another very overgrown style here. Such a struggle. Uh, I should be on a lane quite soon, but I've hardly gone anywhere. I need to definitely get my skates on. So, on a lane. And uh, this will take me quite quickly now, I think. Closer to my destination, but not so much fun. So I'm going to just sign off for now. And come back when I've got something interesting to say. So you may just have caught the sound of the departing post van. It's the only sign of life I've seen or heard, apart from planes going ahead. As I've walked in this heavily farmed landscape, this once would have been full of people and little hamlets would each have had a pub Labourers working in the fields, looking after the animals. There were arable crops here too. Um, but now it's all just pasture. A lot of horses here. Uh, a lot of valleys, a lot of pheasant shooting. But I've been passing farms, handsome looking houses, and not a stare of any activity. And I know it's the depths of winter and I'm obviously uh, descending a dark lane. Sun just clipping the tops of the hedgerows either side, but um, and perhaps a lot of these farms, all of the animals are indoors, and all the work's happening in sheds. Fair, fair enough, absolutely. But I think it's more the contrast to how it might have been 50, 100 years ago, and just how silent the countryside is. So, I often complain about how noisy all of this with it seems much more bustly in the Brecon Beacons here in the midst of Monmouthshire. It's super quiet. I'm sort of looking out for also signs of footpaths and uh, there is a stile here which is nice to see. So you can you can take little footpaths off into the landscape here. And this one seems to be relatively well maintained. A bit mossy, a bit rotten, but it is a footpath nonetheless. Going up to a farm, so as an experiment, I'm going to record all the sounds I hear. And it's got you know, trailers, and diggers, and lots of vehicles, barns. Plenty of wildlife, small birds, and sparrows, but no people. This is the distance. Beautiful farmhouse. Whitewashed stone. Some lovely bantams. 
Oh, and a dog. So there's some noise. And there's a sign. First footpath sign I've seen for a long time. We're going sort of in the direction I would love to go. I've run out of time, sadly. And I've got to get home. And that's the sound of a tractor. And I'm heading off, almost back at the hill fort that I started at. Big circle I've done, but not reached the other hill fort. But in many ways, this podcast has been, we've heard a lot of wild voices, but we've heard the silence of countryside voices from the people who used to live in the Iron Age hill fort to the modern sparsely distributed farms where there are very few people very few people employed on the land anymore and so deep in the middle of winter Jay's calling there's no one around apart from that tractor planes overhead well it's been a sort of interesting insight into this part of the world. Walkers aren't particularly welcomed in the sense that the footpaths are very hard to find even if they're on the map. One last thing though there's a plaque here at the National Trust sign for Koidu Winneth and it says this site was presented to the National Trust by Captain Geoffrey Crawshay in memory of Sergeant R.A. Owens, Royal Air Force, of Llanfair Kilgethin, killed on active service on August 7th, 1943, aged 21. That's powerful. The Crawshays were uh, uh, a big local family with Sergeant R.A. Owens, who was killed aged 21. And say where, about uh, 1943. So Captain Jeffrey has left this hill fort to the National Trust, and we all benefit from that. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So that was the end of a very curious walk, a rather frustrating adventure in the countryside. And I've been brooding on it quite a bit, in fact, brooding all the way to the podcast studio, where I'm joined by my regular podcast companions, Jack and Hannah. Hello, chaps. Lovely to see you. Hello. Hello. Let's talk about this. But before we do, I'm delighted to say we're joined by the Rambler's Head of Paths, the most appropriate guest we could possibly find at this this point, Um, Jack Cornish, to help me through uh, this sort of, yeah, help me through this difficulty. Jack, 
Thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast studio. Before we start, it would be really great to, for, for those listeners, because we've got quite a big international audience as well as UK listeners, many of whom won't know what the Ramblers are and do. So perhaps if you could give us a, a few lines about um, who the Ramblers are and also what head of paths means. and then we can... <laughs> Sure, yeah. So the, the Ramblers is um, it's Britain's largest walking charity. So we are a charity and we advocate for the ability for everyone to get out walking across Britain. Um, we've been around since um, since the mid-30s, so we're a historic organisation and we play a key role in, we put on group walks or we get groups of people walking out, but we also play a role um, in protecting, you know, the places we can walk, the infrastructure and, and making sure it's as best as it can be. Um, and I suppose that is where my role comes in the head of paths so um i oversee a fantastic team of of um people who advise the public about their rights when out walking um and support a really dedicated band of volunteers across england and wales who expand the network uh, improve it and and protect it from any threats and so we're all about safeguarding that rights of way and that path network that sort of spirals across the country and that's across all England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland? Or? Not in Northern Ireland. Rights of Way in Northern Ireland is... Um, with the Ramblers don't cover Northern Ireland, and it is quite a um, a dead zone, I think, for, for public rights of way. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to have to go and do some podcasting and walking over there, I think. 100%, yeah. You maintain paths. I actually fortuitously went out for a walk this morning and saw a little plaque on an oak tree saying, this path has been maintained and improved by ramblers volunteers mm. and is that so so that's part of the job maintaining what do you clear vegetation maintain styles that sort of thing or is it yeah so uh, i mean it's worth saying that you know the vast vast majority of the ramblers work is delivered to our volunteers we've got over a hundred thousand members we've got twenty thousand volunteers and a hundred and something members of staff. So you can see the sort of, you know, the work's done by uh, by our volunteers. And when it comes to that that maintenance and improvement of paths, they do a whole range of things in different parts of the country. It could be out with the strimmers and the loppers cutting down vegetation, could be replacing a stile for a gate to make the path more accessible uh, or improving the surface of a path, a set of steps, or it could be actually building a bridge, you know, literally a bridge is washed away and they build one across the stream, you know, so it's a, it's a whole range of activities that those, those volunteers do. Sounds like uh, volunteers need a bit of engineering skills at times then. Some, some of them. Yeah. <laughs> In some parts of the country. Yeah. And um, some chainsaw classes as well. Is always oh, oh good. my goodness. <laughs> That's really exciting. Um, yeah. So that you mentioned access there, obviously access means lots of different things, but essentially access to the countryside uh, is something we champion all the time. And, Having, I've just been on this adventure where I was thwarted so many on so many occasions. I mean, do people come to you? Could I come to you and say these paths are missing, Jack? How do I find them again? Yeah, I mean, so so we we would certainly be very happy to advise that, and we advise thousands of members of the public a year about about their rights. I mean, ultimately, the body that has the responsibility for ensuring that the paths are signposted, they're not obstructed, you can easily access them is the what's called the highway authority but essentially it's the it's the local council um there's 130 something highway authorities across the country so 
and it gets a bit confusing about exactly which council it is, but in most cases, it's county councils or or your local sort of city council. Well, they have a, a what's called the definitive map, which is a legal record of rights of way, and you know that that is a legal record, and so they those paths should be walkable or and they should be unobstructed. And so, if there's an issue of one of those, then that should be reported to the local authority. Now, I can come on to to why that might not get something done straight away, but that is the sort of in theory process. So perhaps we should just row back a tiny bit and go to what constitutes a right of way. Because I look at the green lines on an OS map and I assume those are the historic rights of way that I have and other walkers. And anyone who loves the countryside can go walking and expect not to be challenged on those paths. Is that a fair thing to say? It's completely fair. So Public rights of way are linear routes, uh, you know, paths <laughs> um, where the public has a right to pass and repass. So it means they can walk back and forth on them, um, but also they can do other things. So we've got various categories of rights of way. We've got footpath, which is can be used by everyone on foot. We've got bridleways, which can be used by um, everyone on foot, plus uh, horse riders and cyclists. We've got something called a restricted byway, which is all of those groups, plus if you want to be on a, a horse and cart, non-mechanicalized <laughs> vehicles, you I don't do. see them much. <laughs> I, do, I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got something called byways open to all traffic, which, are, which you can drive a car or a 4x4 on, but they don't often look like actual roads, if you know what I mean. They're sort of a bit more, a bit more off-road. And we've got 140,000 miles of those in England and Wales. It, the, the, the legislation, the law is different in Scotland. You know, so it's an amazing network and it, and it sort of goes everywhere, really. And everyone should have the right to use that network because it is a public network for use by the whole public. So I can understand why, you know, if I was a lander, is it, perhaps we should, I should ask you, how much responsibility does a landowner, a farmer or whoever owns the, the the acreage how much responsibility do they have to maintain those paths so they need to they need to ensure that the path is is unobstructed so you know they can't put something in the way of an obstruction they have responsibilities around things like if they plow up the surface of the path then they need to reinstate the path afterwards they can't grow crops that are over a certain height on the path you know, if there's a style on the path and it breaks down, they have to replace it. Uh, or if there's a gate, they can't lock it. So, so actually, most of their responsibilities are about not interfering with the path rather than having to spend loads and loads of money, you know, to improve it or to, to, to maintain it in that way. Because it's actually the highway authority that own the surface of the path. And so as long as they're not obstructing it, if, it, if the surface is, say, really eroded, or if if the path uh, starts to fall into a river, for instance, um, it's actually the highway authority that have a responsibility on that rather than the landowner. Really, I did not know that. I thought the landowner had full responsibility for the... So the surface of a footpath or a byway or all those different designations that you've listed is actually owned by the... Oh, that's interesting. Revelatory. So I found loads of rotten styles. I mean, yeah. dis- disintegrated and others where the vegetation had grown to such an extent that I felt like I was some sort of trying to get into a, a, a Disney castle through a thorn hedge. And then, you know, rotten bridges. I think the most worrying, because I could at least find the path, but the most worrying was where it literally finished in a fence. I'm always a little wary of challenging people 
particularly in their on their own property, and I think most people would be. I think that's that's quite a it's quite a natural fear to be sort of accused of trespassing or or worse. So how how would I? I mean, is that something I should approach the highway, uh, the council, the highway agency? Yeah, the highway authority. Yeah, that highway that authority. is definitely one for the council because you know that is well. There's two things there, I suppose. One, it would be interesting to check the map to see actually does the path go through that way um, because you know there can be issues. But I suspect that you know that sounds like a clear case of an obstruction. You know, for putting a fence over a path, putting barbed wire over a path, locking a gate is a clear obstruction, and there isn't any rationale for that in any way at all you know all of highways law and public rights of way are highways as much as the a1 is um, they're all about balancing the interests of landowners and users public rights of way 90 plus percent of them go across private land so it's about balancing how we use the land with how we want to access the land and i think the balance has tipped the wrong way when well, it certainly has tipped the wrong way when a clear obstruction is, you know, is intentionally put over the path. Um, and so that would be something that should be reported to the Highway Authority. And ultimately, they can prosecute, they can take that landowner to court, they could even remove the obstruction themselves, and then bill the landowner to for that work. So, you know, and obviously, most things don't get to that stage. And we don't want them to get to that stage, we want the obstruction removed. We're not about prosecuting for the sake of it so so yeah but that would be that would be certainly something that the highway authority should be concerned about really interesting i, I want to come to the balance as you say and responsibilities of walkers because i think that's only fair to, to to explore that side of things but um taking action into our own hands uh now i don't want to go too deeply down this route but obviously i'm going to take a pair of secateurs or loppers next time i go walking in that part of the world because it just just to get through I th- that's fair enough is it you can cut back vegetation it's absolutely fair enough there's if you're going out to specifically go and cut down this vegetation on that particular path that is a slightly different situation but taking a pair of secateurs i often take some out when i go out walking to be able to cut your way through to give you enough space to get through that path is is completely legitimate now the next the next there's a step up from this which is bolt cutters for cutting um <laughs> for cutting um padlocks off gates which uh i think i've never done i would you know not advocating doing this i just want to find out the legal so if i took bolt cutters out that would be an intentional that would be intentional i wouldn't advise that i would i would advise <laughs> talking to the highway authority because also there is there is you know seriously i mean, i'm not sure how much this would actually happen but it opens you up to issues of criminal damage and things like that as well sort of thing so so we would we would not advise that um however tempting it may be no well it's very frustrating (laughs) to see a a gate uh, put in place by the highways authority or by volunteers might be a local footpath group a walking group or it might be the ramblers uh and then it's been the landowner or someone has bolted it up and you have to clamber over it obviously doing damage to the gate in the process so it's sort of counterproductive um, it's, it's worth saying if you do come across an obstruction if there's an obstruction on the path you are legally allowed to go round it even if you come off the public right of way um so that's probably another i mean this suppose it's unlikely but there was that bolted gate and next you know 10 meters away there was a gap in the in the in the fence you could go around that you could get in that way and, and go around um 
technically have to be on the same landowner's land, but who knows if you are or not, but it is reasonable to actually, you know, divert round an obstruction. Okay. Okay. So this should give people confidence that when they face these, like these problems, that you can have some agency yourself to get round, get round the obstacles. Obviously, I want, I do want to talk about Walker's responsibilities because those of us who explore the countryside do need to you know, bear in mind that we are walking on private property. What advice would you give to, to, to people exploring the countryside? In a way, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I would point people towards the countryside code. And, you know, that does clearly set out how people should act within the countryside. And it's all relatively common sense. And actually, I think, you know, we know that millions of people a year go out walking in the countryside and then if you add on cycling and horse riding and other activities and actually the vast majority of trips are completely without any issue you know despite the fact that despite the problems you talked about on your walk but i would say look at the countryside code you know close gates still do that don't drop litter but also just enjoy yourself as well because you have the right to be there i feel like i've heard sometimes about public footpaths maybe becoming not public footpaths where they kind of lose their their status I guess is there what's the advice if if there's uh, some sort of local people to something like that where they potentially could lose a footpath how could they go about trying to make sure that that doesn't happen and that it can remain as one sure so everything that's recorded on on the definitive map that's legally recorded should primarily be there in perpetuity it should be there forever um a landowner can apply for a path to be diverted and some of those are opposed by the ramblers. Some of them are absolutely understandable and fine. You know, it depends on the individual uh, circumstance. Uh, they can also apply for it to be extinguished, but which basically means getting rid of it, stopping it up. But in most cases, you, you know, those the, the, the sort of level of evidence needed that of a reason to do that won't be accepted. So, so once something is legally recorded, it usually stays there, even if it might change course over time slightly but actually we know that there are thousands of paths that people are using every day that aren't recorded and in any legal way at all and and it's often those that are the most at risk because uh you know even if they've been used by people in that village or in that community for the last 50 years there's no reason why a landowner couldn't just stick up a barbed wire fence across it or someone couldn't build a, a barn across it or a house there or whatever um and so there are there is a law around if if a path can be demonstrated to be in use by the public for twenty years, then it becomes a right of way, and then it can be recorded on the definitive map. Um, there are also lots of historical paths that have existed for hundreds of years that may not be in use now, but that need to be recorded, and that's what we're doing for our Don't Lose Your Way project of the Ramblers as well. So, so the the definitive map is by no means definitive, and it can be added to, and it can change over time. It's a living document. But we want to, you know, we want to ensure that it doesn't change to the detriment of walkers, essentially. So can people come to you and show the examples of local footpaths and you might come and inv- or your teams might come and investigate and, and see whether it could be added to the definitive map? Sure. I mean, we've, it would, you know, especially our local volunteers who have that, that local knowledge, you know, I, I mean, often, it's, it's a strange sort of area in a way because, you know, often proving these things comes down to the public helping out with it. So, you know, that using the path for 20 years, you need to not just demonstrate that you have used it, you need to demonstrate that the public have used it. So getting a number of witness statements. And so 
we're relying on and our volunteers are relying on you know the public getting involved and wanting to save their parks um which which thankfully they do um so yeah but people can come to us and we can advise them about how to go about that um you know those applications are made to the local council again who hold that legal record so but we could we we're very happy to advise members of the public parish councils community groups whoever you know if they think there's paths in their area that are unrecorded and that should be recorded then we're we're here to help that's really good that anybody walking knows that there's a, a friendly advice a sort of a body they can go to to get help because sometimes it can feel a little bit like you feel like a little tiny person walking across a landscape with lots of uh, you know lots of yeah. lots of private property signs and things like that you know like well you know, that, that's uh, absolutely i mean there's so many of those and it does feel a little bit oppressive sometimes when you're particular areas. I mean, in the Brecon Beacons, you don't see too many private property signs, but sometimes in the in the sort of less visited, less well trod, as I demonstrate in this podcast, the private property signs get increasingly sort of terse and and rather threatening. Indeed, and actually, there's I could go on, I could get into this for hours, but there are there's there's sort of legal case about how a sign can be so. Um, if a sign is off-putting and misleading at the same time, then it actually becomes a visual obstruction, and it should be removed from the path as well. So there's, there's, um, yeah, there's loads of those sort of quirks of highways law that that come up when you're dealing with this stuff. Jack, we really could talk for hours because that's another revelation of that that even signs can be can be uh, dealt with. So I, I think there is something oppressive about lots of private signs. But thank you so much. That's really given me a lot of, I suppose, encouragement and support after feeling a, a little bit lost in the wilds for once. And well, we will certainly have you back on again when we next encounter some issues out on our public rights of way. I'd love that. Jack, thank you so much. But you're not going to get away quite so quickly as you thought you might. We'd love you to introduce our regular Sound of the Week slot, if you don't mind. I... Of course, yeah. So what we've got here is um, we've got some the sound of a night of wassailing from Abigail Grice in Herefordshire. Um, and for those who don't know, wassailing usually takes place on Twelfth Night, and it's a night of revelry and ritual to ward off bad spirits from the orchard and ensure a good harvest. We also have something in the podcast post bag, and Hannah, who's been unusually quiet this 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 week, <laughs> um, I wonder if you'd reach down into the into the bag and see what. I have a lovely letter here from Bridget Wesson. She says, "Hi, Fergus, Hannah, and Jack, and Jack for this week. Congratulations on a million downloads. Thank you all so much for your first podcast of the season. It was joyous." Your walk in the Sturt Marshes with Ben Hall was a winter tonic and was full of all the wonderful elements we have come to expect from your podcasts. I especially loved hearing the curlew calls, a truly haunting and hopeful sound, 
and it was heartening to hear how many of these you cited, together with the lapwings and the redshanks. And we were also treated to the whoosh of Dunlin wings in a murmuration. Is there any chance we could have a sound escape of this at some point? Thank you so much, Hannah, for keeping the sound escapes going. They're always a treat. Thank you, Bridget. Fergus, you ask for ideas for new podcasts, and although I always enjoy all your guests, I still love the ones where you are walking in the countryside that you love, describing the scenery and the nature surrounding you. You are a gentle, thoughtful and informative companion on my own urban walks and transport me to a world away from the issues of the day. So thank you to the whole team and happy podcasting in 2022. Thank you for reading that one out. And thank you, Bridget. Um, we're including that because I needed a lift after my miserable walk in the countryside. <laughs> um, you mentioned a couple of things there. I didn't actually manage to record a sound escape of the whooshing of Dunlin wings, um, but there is one of the lapwings on the marshes. So hopefully that would be something you can enjoy. You'll have just heard a podcast of me on my own wandering around. Not not one of not one of the most relaxing, perhaps. And we've got plenty more wonderful adventures in the countryside, including hopefully one with the three of us, Hannah, Jack and me, out in an ancient woodland. But for now, from all of us in the podcast studio, thank you so very much for listening and join us again next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>